three, two, one. <laughs> what? Reversal of fortune. That's why I tell my friends everything happens for Seriously, a Seriously, you had one job. I, just, I, I can't with Jeez. some of these people. I just, Put down your goddamn cell phone. I don't think my dad even knows how to use a computer. Uh, Would uh, you rather? Right, trust me, take no, my advice. No, but seriously, that legit happened. How's it going, guys? Welcome to Nervous Habits. I've got an exciting episode for you where I'm joined by stand-up comedian and the host of Tacos con Toro on First We Feast, Jesus Trejo. And we will be doing a deep dive on comedy. We explore issues including, what is it like being a stand-up comedian in 2020 given the competitiveness of the industry and the millions of so-called Twitter comedians out there? Political candidate speeches always have zingers. Airline safety videos gotta have a punchline. Why has comedy come to dominate American culture so much over the past few decades? What exactly do people find funny? And is what people find funny today the same as it was 100 years ago? And finally, whether a guy who hosts a celebrity taco YouTube series ever gets sick of eating tacos. All that and so much more on another episode of... Nervous Habits. Hey guys. We are in June, believe it or not. Uh, I, I really can't tell if the year has been going by super quickly because it feels like just, you know, a day ago was New Year's or super slowly, you know, with this with this quarantine. It feels like we've been stuck inside for, you know, for years. But, you know, trying to, to keep the positive energy flowing here. And on that front, as we continue to expand the Nervous Habits pod, I have been fortunate to have folks like Chef Plum from the Food Network and freestyle rap artist Harry Mack join me to share their insights on things ranging from food to success to getting into the flow state. And to continue that theme, to keep the train moving, I'm thrilled to be here today with my next guest, Jesus Trejo, who is actually the first comedian to appear with me here on Nervous Habits. Jesus, if you have not heard of him, is one of the fastest rising names in the stand-up comedy scene. Uh, and he recently taped his first hour stand-up special, Stay at Home, Son, for Showtime, <laughs> which is uh, appropriately named, and set to air on Showtime during the summer of 2020. He can be seen recurring as the role of Mr. Trujillo on the Netflix series Mr. Iglesias and in roles on Alone Together with Freeform and Teachers with TV Land. Jesus is also the host of Tacos con Toro the newest web series from Complex and First We Feast. That's the company that makes my personal favorite web series, Hot Ones. Uh, and on Tacos con Toro, Jesus navigates the LA taco scene with celebrity guests. And he was named a top 10 comic to watch by Just for Last Comedy back in 2017 and is a regular at the Comedy Store in Los Angeles. Pretty impressive credentials. This guy is, is on the rise. Hilarious. Um, so definitely check him out on YouTube if you haven't already. And let's, you know, sort of get inside his mind and, and hear his thoughts on comedy in 2020 and, you know, how the, the, how the entertainment landscape is shaping up um, and how he feels about eating all those tacos with Andy Milanakis and Gabriel Iglesias. Uh, and so now, without further ado, my conversation with Jesus. Jesus, how's it going? Welcome to Nervous Habits. Dude, thank you, man. Uh, I'm a little nervous. No, <laughs> nah, man, that, that's good. Um, let, me, let me ask you a question to jumpstart our conversation here. So I had a chef on here, and the first thing that I asked him was, what was the last thing he ate? So I want to ask you sort of the, you know, the relevant analogy here. As a stand-up comedian, when was the last time that you laughed until you cried? The last time I laughed till I cried, um, probably uh, a, a conversation with a friend of mine. Uh, we were uh, we were laughing at some video. I, f I forget what the video was, but me and my buddy Ian, uh, Ian Edwards, we were we were laughing on the phone until we were like crying. Um, couldn't even breathe. I couldn't even breathe. But yeah, I, I think that was the last time, which was two days ago. Uh, yeah. it, it's good to hear that that it was like a friend that made you laugh. It wasn't just some, you know, curated piece of content on Instagram or something that you saw on like Netflix. It was actually like a human to human relationship. I, I think yeah. that's, that's special. Yeah, it was it was a human to human relationship. It was my homie Ian Edwards. And we were just kind of dissecting this this premise, I guess, further and further. And, and we were one up in each other. and We just kept heightening you know, the joke or whatever. But yeah, it's like, it's a thing that most people do in a conversation with a friend, you know, it's like, you say something funny, you add to it, you add to it. And then before you know, it, you're both, you know, out of air, crying, laughing. 
Awesome. Yeah, man. No, I, I can I can totally relate to that. And it's good to hear that as a comedian, you still have those moments. Um, so, Jesus, would you tell people that you're a comedian? Let's say you're out at a bar and, you know, someone says, what do you do for a living? What's the most common response that you get? Because I can imagine that it'd be something like, tell me a joke. Yeah, that's, you know, you, you learn your lesson early on as a, as, as a comic because, you know, you know, the formative years is like you're really excited, you know, that, that you that you're working towards the title of comedian and then you're proud of what you do and you know you're out and about at a bar and somebody says what do you do i'm a comedian like oh really you don't look that funny that's the first one (laughs) followed by um uh tell me something funny and it's like oh here we go and then i think at least i I speak for myself i i I think early on i took the bait and i'm like oh you know i got a one-liner for you and then you would say it and it's like wah, wah, wah. you're like, uh, like oh all right man uh, good luck with that you're like shit why did i say that you know i was like why did i say the joke but um after a while i stopped saying that i was a a stand-up comic you know even now it's like i'm, I'm just like oh i write or you know i you know i don't know i'll, I'll make up something because it's it usually ends up going in that direction tell me a joke it's like ah and and, and then if if I say, hey, I'm a comic, they're like, tell me a joke. I'm like, you got to come out to a show. That's usually mm-hmm. how I deflect, you know, politely. I said, um, oh, man, um, I, I think it would be better if you come out to a show. I got a show coming up, you know, and then you, you know, give them a ticket or whatever, or, you know, t- uh, tell them the directions. And I think it's just because there's a conducive place for stand-up comedy and being, like, face-to-face with a person at a bar is, like, yeah, it's not very conducive, you know? There's a lot of variables to control, and yeah, usually that's, uh, <laughs> it doesn't end well. <laughs> it's also not fair, man. If you've been in comedy for like 10, 20 years, someone expects you to distill, you know, a decade or two of a career into just like a five-second assessment based on the first thing you can come up with. It's not, it's not an accurate depiction of what you can do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting, and, and I, I'm sure you've heard it from, from other comedians, and I've heard it in, in, in different, co- like, comedians interviews is like I don't think that happens in in any other profession you know it's like any other profession it's like I, I saw that you were you know you're pursuing a, a law degree you know you're getting your your juris doctorate right it's like nobody says hey uh you know solve this thing for me you know it's like I, I have a problem it's like you know they'll they'll ask you for it but it's like um I don't know like a chef hey make me something to eat right now it's like dude I'm you know I'm at a I'm watching a baseball game, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, I don't think that quite happens with any other profession as much as, you know, with stand-up comedy. Yeah, man. No, for sure. So something that, that, you know, we like to do on Nervous Habits is really explore sort of like the, the mindset, the motivations, um, you know, the, the, the daily struggles that you deal with as a, a comedian. So do you feel like, and maybe you've gotten this question before, but do you feel like, you know, you ever feel exhausted by having to be on all the time? Like, you know, having to have that, that mental CPU go towards needing to, to, be, to have the right energy. Does that take its toll on you? I don't think it takes a toll on me. You know, it's like the whole thing of being on, you know, it's like, it's a very interesting concept because they feel like comedians are always this like, Whoa, you know, these wacky, uh, you know, bouncing off the walls, uh, personality that, that, that we all have. And that's not necessarily true. I think, I think we're, you know, most stand-up comics, at least for myself, we're more of the, you know, taking on, I think the on part is observing and taking your surroundings and situations and characters that you can later tap into. So I don't know if that gets exhausting. I, I think for me, it's, it's more exhausting to turn off my thinking. You know, it's like sometimes I can't sleep because I'm thinking about a joke or a premise or this thing that happened. And, you know, for, for me, it's almost like I, I can't, I can't turn that part of the brain off. You know, it's more, instead of, you know, being on, people think it's like, Hey, what's up, man? Like that, that, you know, um, show host type of energy. And it's not quite that. It's more of, you know, some people are like, Oh, it's like, if, if people didn't like, if the people around you didn't know and, and they met you for the first time, they wouldn't know that you're a stand-up comic. And it's like, Oh, I guess, you know, but, I feel like stand-up comedians are, are, how can I say it? It's like we're, we're the modern-day philosophers, you know? It's like back in the day, you know, Plato or Socrates would go to the plaza and they, you know, they go up there and, you know, talk about their observations and that kind of thing. And nowadays, it's, it's a comedy club, but, you know, they're not out and about 
you know, talking philosophy. I like that parallel though, because you know, a lot of people watch comedy and it's almost like this gallows humor where you're laughing at someone like Louis C.K. or George Carlin because what they're saying is true because of the sure. observations they're making are so you know, uh, dead on. To, I mean, look at Jerry Seinfeld, just the everyday right. observations. You know, people laugh because not only is it funny, but because it's accurate. Yeah, it's accurate. And, and you also got to keep in mind, it's like a, like a, uh, a comedian, a comedian's well can run dry. And it's from not having enough, not enough, but not having life experience. And it's like, you know, the early years are kind of hard as a young comic because you don't really have life under under your belt you know it's like it's it's with time that you're able to kind of pull these things and you know be able to showcase that and and uh this was supposed to make a point and i i i drifted off <laughs> no, but, you're, uh, no you're, no you're good man yeah yeah uh dang it uh, but yeah like a guy like like you know george carlin yeah, we'll come back to that point. I had a dang it. I I, I had a point. I'm gonna write it. No, up. man, it'll 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 come back to you. Um, so I do want to chat about your background because it's always yeah. interesting to me talking about you know looking at comedians and getting a sense of like, oh, were they were they the the class clown growing up? Were you the funny kid in, in your friend group, or did that just sort of did you like get the funny bug later in life? I, I wasn't I, I wasn't the class clown. I was I was always very quiet. Uh, I got into a lot of trouble. Uh, just doing stupid things. I, and, and I think it was, you know, coming from a, being an only child and trying to get attention and that kind of thing. So I would, I would be the, you know, the kid who would, you know, write in permanent marker on the, on the whiteboard. So when the teacher went to go erase, it's like, Oh, who the hell wrote this? <laughs> like that was my style of humor, you know? And, you know, people laughed and I was in, like, I was in the back. Okay. With not getting credit for the joke. I was just like, ha 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 kind of thing. Like, low key, like, oh, I'm laughing just like everyone else. So who did it? Shit, I don't know. So that was my style of comedy. I, I was never like the class clown. It's interesting that you didn't need to be in the spotlight, you know, because a, a lot of people who are in show business, they do things like that because they want the attention. But you were more focused on just making people laugh, it sounds like, and just yeah. being, being in on the joke. Yeah, being in on the joke, I, I, I almost, like, again, it goes back to the only child aspect of it. It's like wanting to be included when you're an only child, you're kind of a lone wolf. So it's like, you know, I, I wanted to bond. Like, I was always very awkward. And, and I had this nervous kind of thing about myself that I've always had since I was a kid, you know. And, you know, to be kind of included in a group of friends, I was a lone wolf. So if something happened and we all laugh, it's, it's that, that uh, going to the movie theaters by yourself syndrome. You know, mm. when they, they laugh at something, you're like, ha oh, right, that was funny, man. Uh, and you want to feel included. So I, I felt like that was my, my mechanism for being, quote, unquote, included. You see what I'm saying? And then, you know, with comedy, I, I think the, the, the second part to that was in my upbringing was, you know, I'm Mexican-American. My parents are from Mexico. I'm born in Long Beach, California. So it's like I was, I was living in, in two worlds. You know, I was living in. Long Beach, California, and also I was living in a world where my parents only spoke Spanish. They don't know, they didn't know English. I grew up around only Spanish speakers, so I didn't have command of the language until like around the fifth grade, really, you know. Um, but having said that, it's like Mexican culture uh, has a lot of uh, roasting elements to it, you know. It, it, it's a way of, you know, bringing you in, showing you love, you know. It's like you've heard the phrase, you only roast the people you love. That's very much... A Mexican culture thing they I mean they chop you down pretty hard and who else can get you know hurt you like family right? right so I would get roasted and going to school kids are mean they've always been mean you know they start making fun of your shoes because you know they look ugly or you don't have the name brand so you have to learn this this uh self-defense kind of thing and, and and for me it was comedy and it was being able to fire back and roast and being able to say that so i guess the spotlight later came about when you know somebody said hey look at his shoes and then i'm able to snap back mm -hmm. you know the rule of improv yeah my shoes are shitty but you know let's talk about this haircut you got right here <laughs> that's pretty you know, good so so it's like as, as soon as you start highlighting certain things that they're like oh like like i'm i'm, I'm gonna highlight things that are 
just ridiculous about you. You're going to feel bad. And I would get ass whoopings no matter what, but I earned them, <laughs> you know? So it's like, if, if I'm going to get my ass whooped, it might as well be from a guy who's crying, a bully who's crying and whooping my ass, you know? So it was those two sides of it. You know, I was a quiet one. I didn't need credit to, Hey, I getting picked on. I'm going to roast and make fun of you and make kids around me laugh. And then, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of validating. It's almost like the kid that can draw when you're little. Mm. It's like, Oh, that guy's cool. Hey man, that guy is funny, man. He made fun of so-and-so. He said his ears look like X, Y, Z, you know? Yeah. And it's so empowering too. I mean, you're taking this, this, this thing, comedy and you're utilizing it as like a, a defense mechanism to protect yourself. So if someone's giving you shit, you're able to, to rag on them. And then they think, you know what? We don't want to, you know, we don't want to screw with Jesus because he, he could actually like get us back pretty hard and you end up like, essentially using it to you know almost like other people would would use their fists in a fight yeah it's like and also i think with roasting because it's, it's like your first intro to what something could go viral like i like 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 i remember making fun like some guy made fun of like some knockoff shoes that i had in high school right and i remember just lighting them up he had these main brand shoes but they were pretty worn out you know and i remember saying it's like oh uh uh, uh your shoes look like old uh like like dirty bicycle grips and that was enough for kids to laugh and that had the most re like like residual laughs if that makes sense because people like hey someone's uh jesus said his shoes look like bicycle grips oh my god they do and it would be passed around until eventually you know nobody would gave you credit but you know but for for a while it was like oh you know, the bully, wait, he got his ass kicked? No, he, he made the guy walk away because he made fun of his <laughs> shoes, you know? Yeah, man, for sure. So when you were, when you, were you know, growing up, what, what, was, what were your favorite comedies? Like, what did, you, what did you laugh at when you were, like, first getting into, you know, getting into this kind of thing? I, I think it starts off, like, in my upbringing, like, early, my form, like, little kid years, you know? It's like, I was introduced to Mexican comedian, comedian actors, you know, and it's like Chespirito, which that was a nickname, um, a, a nickname given to him because he was a, he used to be a soccer player and he turned, you know, playwright. So Chespirito, Shakespeare. So they would call him Little Shakespeare, you know, mm -hmm. and he had this phenomenal show about a, a apartment building and he lived in a barrel. Like it was like this poor kid that lived in a barrel and he was friends with the kids who lived in the other apartments his only obstacle in life was to get a ham sandwich. And, wow. you know, that was, it was very endearing. It came from a very humble place and it was hysterical. That was my, my comedy. I would memorize episodes and, you know, memorize the little punchlines that would, you know, that he would say, and, you know, I got a kick out of the laugh track that they played on it. Then later it became Cantinflas, you know, which, you know, uh, Charlie Chaplin regarded him as the funniest comedian ever, you know, and, mm -hmm. you know, there's been movies made on Cantinflas and this guy, you know, his, his, his film that popped was, you know, this film about um, a guy who, who was a street sweeper. He would walk around the street sweeping, you know, and had a trash can and a broom, sagged his pants, wore a handkerchief, hilarious, and India Maria. So that's, that's what was funny to me, like all the gag, like the, the, the physical humor, you know, which later became Three Stooges. Like Slapstick. Slapstick, yes. Like uh, uh, Buster Keaton, you know. Mm -hmm. um, got a little painting there my manager gave yeah, me. Yeah, I, I see. It looks great. <laughs> um, so that stuff, like the, the yeah, physical humor that, 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 you know, was hysterical to me. And then, you know, as, as I was growing up, I would watch cartoons. And that was like cartoons. I mean, there's no limit as to the humor comes from physicality. It comes from dialogue. It, it brought everything together, funny pictures, you know? Um, so over the years, things just kind of, I, I just kept kind of adding to this, you know, palette that we call comedy. And then, you know, eventually getting into stand up and, you know, through cartoons, that's how, how I, you know, found out of like a Howie Mandel with Bobby's world and uh, Louie Anderson with uh, life with Louie. And, um, uh, you know, the PJs later on, I was like, you know, um, uh, Eddie Murphy and then the Simpsons. So you start to kind of dive into this world. And, you know, I became enamored with, you know, comedians like Richard Pryor. And, you know, I love uh, Brian Regan, George Lopez, because George Lopez was the guy who I'm like, wow, he he speaks to me. He's mm -hmm. he's living the truth that I live, you know, you know, you know, having, you know, 
being a person who's in both worlds, living in this country with family that comes from Mexico, and, you know, even a Paul Rodriguez, you know, and then, you know, over the years, it became Mitch Hedberg, Dave Attell, uh, uh, J.B. Smooth, I, I, I became fascinated with. Uh, he's hilarious. He's, he's still, I, I mean, some of the other guys are, are also still performing, but I know I, he, he's on, he's on Curb Your Enthusiasm. I, I, I can't, I can't keep a straight face anytime he walks in the room. He's amazing. He's, I mean, he's the next level and he's like in the improv thing. And then, uh, like, also speaking of improv, you dive into, like, long-form Herald improv. You know, you start mm -hmm. diving into all these quadrants of comedy. But, I mean, yeah. So was there a moment I, – I, I don't know if there was a specific moment or maybe, maybe there was a time where you sort of just realized, oh, shit, I'm actually really funny and I might be able to do this for a living as opposed to, as opposed to just making your friends laugh at the bar on the weekends where you can actually see it as a career and not a hobby. I'm still waiting for that moment. Um, you know? <laughs> uh, uh, any minute now, I, I, you know, I don't know that was a thing, but no, I'm playing. Um, I don't know. It's like you, 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 you start off, you know, doing it. And I don't think there's any clear cut moment of I'm really funny. Like this is like a career, like you just kind of stick with it and, and not let it kind of defeat you almost, you know, it's like you get a laugh at whatever point that is in, in your youth and you're always kind of cha uh, chasing that dragon. You know, it's like, you're, you're, you're looking for it. You know, it's, it's a, it's a very addictive thing, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know that there was a clear cut moment of damn, I'm really funny. Like I'm, again, I have this very nervous personality and you know, my confidence could be better, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy and, and thrilled when I'm able to get a joke work from, you know, from thinking it to writing it to performing it to eventually, you know, having it go up somewhere on a on, on a on a TV recording of some kind, you know, or publishing it, I should say. But I mean, along the way, there's there's a lot of self doubt. So for me personally, I don't think there's ever a clear like, oh damn, like, I'm pretty funny. It's like I do okay, you know. But, yeah. And it, and it's also ever changing. You know, you can't you can't like stay married to any one premise or joke. It's like, eventually you got to move on, you know, it's published and then you move on to the next thing. For sure, man. And I, and I think that authenticity comes through. I, I've seen you perform obviously. And um, just talking to you right now, I think those, those people, those comedians and those people in show business in general do the best because they're not putting on appearances. It's like, this is me. This is who I am. If you find me funny, great. If not, you know, that that's okay too. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I always say that. It's like, if, if you think I'm funny, great. If not, that's okay, too. And, you know, everything I talk about stems from a reality or a truth. And then, you know, it's exaggerated through my wordplay and my my comedic lens of making it funny and, you know, fluffing it out a little bit. But, you know, that's my style. If not, comedy is subjective. You know, if you don't like Absolutely. me, there's, there's a million other ones over there who you'll enjoy. For sure. So, so, so I want you to think back to your first stand-up experience. Sort of like let let people in, let people in on, on how much you've grown since then. Did you you know did you get any laughs? Did what was there awkward silences? What was what was the ambience like in the crowd? Oh man, um, I would say the uh, first time I went on stage, it was you know I I was twenty years old. I I wasn't allowed to be in the bar, but I had gone the the previous week and I asked the guy. If I can get up, he's like, you know, how old are you? You look kind of young. And I'm like, oh, 20, because dumbass, I should have said 21, you know, and move the <laughs> conversation along. But I felt the need to say 20. And then he's like, oh, you can't be here, man. They're going to shut the place down. I'm like, well, you know, I see you run a comedy night. If I come back next week and I get on, he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. If you can get past the bouncer, kind of laughed it <laughs> off. And somehow I was able to get past him. I got there early. I waited, went, walked in. It was no big deal. I didn't even think twice about it. I walked up and I'm like, hey, can I go up? And uh, he's like, yeah, man. And, you know, you get three minutes or whatever it was. And I had, you know, maybe five, ten minutes ready to go of just fire. At least that's what I thought. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then I go on stage and I perform. And, I, I mean, I rattled everything I had in my mind prepared uh, was, was gone in like three minutes flat, maybe even less. And I panicked. I don't know what to do. No one's laughing. I'm, I'm eating the, like I'm eating it hard. 
And at that point, I'm like, uh. and mind you, I had a friend there from, from high school. His name's Ton, and he had a camcorder going because I thought it would be a great idea to, to film that. So he has, you know, the camcorder in the back. And I'm like, I'm done. I, I, I go to get off stage. I, I try to hand off the mic. It's wireless. It drops. He, like, I didn't wait. Like, I don't wait for him to grab onto the mic. Falls, batteries spew out. Um, as I'm going, I tip over the freaking mic stand. And I'm sweating. I mean, I'm sweating. It, it is not good. It, it, it is a slippery slope of just filth. I just like not knowing what I'm doing. Then I go up to my friend who's still recording. He has a camera in my face. And he's like, um, how do you feel? I'm like, you just saw what happened, dude. Like, let's get out of oh here. My God. So we leave the bar and he's still recording. He's like, oh, man, so how do you feel? I'm like, yeah, turn the shit off. And... <laughs> That was it, man. It was, it was, it was terrible. And I waited a year. I waited a year to get back up. Right. Mm. So I just like, I just turned 20 or something like that. So at 21, I remember this at 21, I go back, I get back up. I should say, I get back up and I perform and, and look, believe it or not, like I, I bomb harder than the first time. So, <laughs> so that was, that was fun. possible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't know it was, it was possible. I mean, minus the mic drop and the, it, it was the worst kind of mic drop. You know? <laughs> so, uh, but, but do you, but Jesus, do you regret it? I mean, I'm sure there are people listening here who have maybe thought about doing stand up, but they're worried about overcoming that, that initial, you know, hurdle of getting onto the stage, looking out into the bright lights. Do you think that it was an essential experience for you? Or, I mean, it sounds like it also sort of discouraged you for a year. So what's the, you know, what's the cost benefit analysis like there? If, I, I, I guess that's that's kind of the the test you got to run your dream under. Like if you submit yourself to pursuing your dream, whatever it may be, and you have a similar, you know, awful experience like I did, I, I think at that point you kind of decide like, do 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 I like this enough to go through that again, if not worse? And mm -hmm. the answer for me was yes. And then, you know, I did it again and it was awful. And I do remember that there was there was encouragement along the way. There was a guy there by the name, by the name of Danny Sparks, a very funny comic. Um, and he, uh, I remember sent me a message and was like, Hey, you got to get up. The longer you wait, the less likely it is that you'll get back up again. And I remember he, he, he stayed on top of it until I got up. I'm like, Hey man, I, you know, I got up again. He's like, great. And, you know, I think there is something to it. You know, it's like, once you get defeated in whatever matchup you're, you're up against from the time you fall down, you know, recover, gather your thoughts and, and, and hit the gym again. That's very crucial. It's like time is ticking, you know, and the harder it is for you to get back into it. And I think I was, I was, I was lucky enough that whatever that, that, that time frame was, I, I, I went up when I was supposed to and look, everything happens for a reason. I mean, right. who, who knows? Yeah, man. I, I think I think for you it was like an essential growing experience because it did work out. I think some people maybe can't deal with that failure or you know overcome that adversity. Uh, but I, I do want to shift gears and discuss with you sort of the way that comedy in general has permeated Western society over the last few decades. Because if you think about it, I read this in, in a book called Planet Funny by Ken Jennings. And if you think about it, comedy really dominates American culture and Western culture in general, you know, cause there's constantly pressure on people to be funny. Presidential candidates have to have zingers in all their jokes. Um, airline safety videos always have to have a punchline. If you go on, on Twitter, Jesus, everyone's got a funny clap back. People are thinking up, you know, captions on Instagram and memes to send to their friends. So let me ask you, why do you think that comedy has come to dominate culture as it has in the last couple decades? I think, I think that's a great question. And, and, and I think comedy is one of those things like leave it to Western culture to sugarcoat, you know, medicine, you know, to, to be able to digest something they need. It's like they have to take the news with, with, the, with a grain of salt, like some humor, you know. So it's like, you know, I think it's, it's the way that we as, as Western culture can, can digest what's happening in the world. And it also brings us together. I think it's like comedy, comedy is is kind of a, a a thing used in all aspects it's you know how to, 
how does it bring us together? You know, it's like, how does it, you know, allow us to consume information that's, uh, you know, essential, you know, to our well-being, you know, whether it's an airline video, you click yeah. your CML like this and there's a whole Cirque du Soleil type production in the background. It's, you know, I, I, I think, I think people really place a, a value in being inter- entertained. You know, it's like, it, it, yeah, it's just, it's how we digest things. It's how we laugh at our differences, you know, and be able to kind of move forward as, 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 as a whole, you know, and kind of leave certain, you know, unfortunate events behind us or, you know, it, it's a way of, criti- of critically thinking what, what it is that we're, you know, that's going on. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think there is an element of a coping mechanism to it. Like you said, with digesting, you know, you look at like The Daily Show and um, all these like late night talk show hosts that present the news to people and they can laugh about it. But it is, it is also interesting to think about like, what do people laugh at? I mean, in your, in your career, you know, you, you do this for a living. Like, is there, you know, do you ever just think about like, what do people find funny? Is there like a subject that people find funny? Is it people find their own misfortune funny, others misfortune? Like, like what do you think people actually, you know, see humor in? It, it's sort of like a metaphysical question. Yeah, I, I think people, people see humor in all kinds of things. And I, I think going back to the thing I said of, you know, comedy is so subjective. You know, and it, it, and and comedy, spectrum-wise, is, is is a white spectrum. There's stuff that you shouldn't laugh at, you know. But again, that's totally based on somebody's moral compass. Like that, you shouldn't laugh at this. All the way to, you know, somebody slipping on a banana peel, you know, yeah. um, to a fart sound. You know, fart sounds here to you know everything in be- like in between. It just, I mean, I'm. I'm not amazed at what people laugh at more than, than, you know, almost, how can I say it? The, the, the people that like your humor will gravitate towards you. It's like, it's like Instagram. It's, it's such a niche type of, I don't know how to explain it. Like organisms. Like if, if, if you like um, food stuff, Hey, we're going to go find a, a, you know, an Instagram account that's solely for food. And if there's an account dedicated to, I don't know, caterpillars, ah, that's not my thing, really. I won't even follow the hashtag or anything. You, like, like, you see what I'm saying? Like, hu- humor kind of magnetizes, you know, people, uh, like-minded people together. And, yeah, does that make sense? It's hard it to does. put it to words. No, man. I mean, I mean, these are, these are like, uh, I mean, these are sort of like subjective questions, but it sounds like what you're saying is there is no ob- objective funny it's like there's no one joke like the universal joke that everyone finds funny it's like maybe comedy is like a reflection of your values or a reflection of you know your your preferences or your beliefs you you know like it's a mirror there's some universal truths you know that we all kind of you know live by or have experience no matter where in the world you are and i think when you tap into that that's kind of when you get into the universal like kind of comedy kind of thing like you know everyone's you know, if you can make, you know, if you can find the right jokes to express, you know, mourning the loss of a loved one, you know, it's like finding what that feels like and somebody going relate like, oh, damn, like that's happened to me. You know, somebody being rejected for a job, a relationship, you know, relationship humor, you know, that kind of thing. Or, you know, uh, some embarrassment, some universal embarrassment. Hey, I went somewhere and this happened to me. It's like, I think those are the things that are kind of like in the middle and anything any tangent aside above or below that it's just kind of a, a, a niche preference. So if you had to like label your brand of humor, obviously you just released a, a special on, on Showtime. Congrats on that. That's your, that's Thank your you, first man. one. So like what, you know, how, how would you categorize your humor for people listening? Is it, you know, is it self-deprecating humor? Is it, you know, uh, relatable experiences that people have? I think it's self-deprecating. I, I always kind of go in, in that direction, self-deprecating because I feel like, you know, I'm making fun of myself. Everyone can enjoy it, like whatever. There's no real butt of the joke. But also, I fall into like, you know, uh, family stories, my upbringing. Um, you know, uh, yeah. So self-deprecating, uh, upbringing stories, observational humor. Um, I like wordplay sometimes, like 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 in the pun area. Like I dabble a little bit, but not too much, but you know, it's just my little guilty pleasure. I like, you know, kind of squeezing a little pun here and there, but 
yeah, overall, it's just stories. I, I, I think I like to kind of live in the space of storytelling meets one-liners. You know, if I, Absolutely. Could, if I can express a story that I want to tell uh, using, you know, one-liners that I obsess over tremendously, you know, I, I think that's when you get my, my better material. And where does this inspiration come from? Like, do you carry, I know the old school comedians had like notebooks. Do you just like, you're on the subway, you jot something in your phone. Do you like have voice memos? How, how does your process work? Uh, for me, my process is, is I usually carry a notebook. I like to write on, on these like, <laughs> yeah, old, so, I like that. It's old school. Yeah. Like, like little pieces of paper or like, you know, small, small notebooks, big notebooks. You can see my notebooks there in the back. Um, I, I, I email stuff to myself. Sometimes I think the best way for me, if I'm really out and about, again, I can't turn my mind off, you know, with, with the comedic stuff. So sometimes I'll be in a, like in a, in a place where I can't pull out my, you know, my legal pen and be like, you know, well, let's yeah, write about, yeah, let's write about, you know, bicycles. Bicycles are funny because, you know, so what I do is I email it to myself. So I have like kind of a running file for the week and I label it joke, jokes and the date as of Monday. And then throughout the week, I keep pulling it out, pulling out that, that email and I'll reply back to myself. So the first email could be like, you know, bicycles, you know, you know, bicycles are so amazing. I feel like somebody dropped the ball when it came down to the bicycle seat, you know, mm. some simple little thought like that. And then I email it to myself. Then I think of something else and it could be like, I don't know, some other one line, dumb one liner thing. I reply back to that email of the bicycle. So by the end, like Friday or Saturday or Sunday, even when I have time to sit down, I open up my laptop and I have a running file of everything that I had. And I, now I'm writing to prompts basically. Mm. So now I have a, like a, like a rough set list, if you will. So my first email is, Hey, for the, you know, write on bicycles, you know, for the next whatever, 15, 30 minutes until you gas out. And then once you're like, ah, I can't think of anything. Oh, let's look at this other one liner on, on headphones. Let's, let's write on headphones for the next whatever till I gas out till eventually I've addressed every single email, whether it's an email a day that I sent myself or, you know, Tuesday I sent myself nine emails replying back to that chain. And then, you know, Thursday, Friday, I didn't write anything. Saturday, I'll sit down and write. So, it, it, like, I don't really give myself the, the task of every day, you know, but when I do sit down and write, it's like I'm going for it. Yeah, and what do you do? Do you, like, like call your, your parents or, like, your friends and you test out the jokes on them or do you just perform them at sets at, like, the, the L.A. comedy scene and then see how people receive them to see what's funniest? Well, yeah, like, now with the quarantine and everything, I, I, I think my my – my process is a little different, but before it's, you know, I, I you know, I, I would do that at the end of the week, but every day I would have like my notebook. Again, I would carry my notebook with all the, all the jokes that had been written up, had written out during the previous week. And I try to, you know, get them up on the following week. So the goal for me was to always come out with the minute of like new material. Right. And the goal at the end of the week was five minutes, which I never came close Mm. to having like a polished five minutes at the end of the week because it's it's so hard you know but i gave myself seven days a minute a day to come up with five that way if you know saturday sunday i took some you know time off it, it i wasn't behind but at the end of the week i would surprise myself i had a minute two minutes of stuff that i was like oh this is like without question funny you know i i, I would do that a lot and then i would go on stage i would try it out that night and I always recorded my sets. I recorded my sets on my phone. I grabbed the phone, put it on the stool, and I recorded. So my groove was that I, I, I work during the day to get my, you know, my jokes together. Uh, I try them out at night. I record it. I will listen to the recording on the way home because I live far from L.A. Um, and I'll listen to it. And then in the morning, I'd wake up, have my coffee or have breakfast put on my headphones and I would listen to the set from last night. Right. Mm. And I would kind of, you know, cause it's easier to give yourself constructive criticism by listening to you than being in the moment and be like, no, oh, you should say it this way. You should say it that way. It's almost like you're watching somebody else. It's like, you know, when you watch, you know, stand up and it's like, Oh, I wonder if he's going to take it this way. 
you're doing that in real time to yourself. So you're writing notes and again, going back to that email file, just writing that, oh, you know, that joke I had about, uh, like the last joke I remember working on before the whole quarantine was this joke about mustard. And it's like, all right, go back and add this line to that existing joke, drop the previous one. And then I tried it on one of the shows. I was like, oh no, I need that line back. So this can work. So, yeah. Dude, I'm not gonna lie. I, I kind of want to hear this mustard joke, but I don't want to. I don't want to put you on the spot. It's. I don't know. They're, they're- the premise. I, I, I'll tell you just the opening premise, and the and, and the premise is like I feel like I've been working on the same bottle of mustard since I was a kid, and 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 I feel like it's been a part of my life a long time. And then the the line that I was talking about just now, it may not seem funny, but to to, to me, there's something humorous, and it's like I feel like they haven't fully invented mustard yet. Like everything we've tasted is prototypes, you know, think of mustard, you know, it's like, and that's, that, that, that was the last thing I remember kind of working out. It's like, think of mustard, yellow mustard, spicy mustard, Dijon mustard. It's like, fucking, you guys are close. Like keep going. (laughs) And and then me realizing it's like, if you ever tasted mustard and it was delicious, that's honey mustard for sure. You know, Mm. it's like, and I feel like honey is is pulling most of that relationship. You know, it's like, it's holding up that relationship really. Um, but yeah, just that idea. And again, it, it doesn't make any sense or it isn't laugh out loud. But to me, that's why I can't sleep at night. Just thinking about dumb things like that. Dude, so I actually, I thought you were going in a different direction. I thought you were saying that when you said I've been working on the same bottle of mustard since I was a kid, I thought what was relatable in that is so many people when they're living with their folks or living on their own have these like bottles of condiments that just, you know, it seems like it never ends. You're using the same bottle of ketchup and mustard for years. And, and yeah. hearing that, it's like you can relate to the fact that, you know, you always wonder, when was the last time I got a new bottle of mustard? You know, because it's probably yeah. like 10 years old. So, so, so that joke, so I, I skipped ahead to, a, to another joke, the, 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 the part of the mustard thing. So I say the, that initial line, then it became like, uh, it's like, how do you know mustard's bad? It's like, okay. it's, it's like, you don't, that's what it tastes like, I guess, you know? It's like, how do you know mustard's bad? So that was the second beat of that, but again, I leave that out. It's like, oh no, I need that to come back in order mm. for this to work. I don't know. It's it doesn't make sense. People listening to this are like, yeah, he's full of it. No, no, Matt. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's so interesting he, hearing your process. Like, you're you're literally honing your craft. It's no different than when someone's practicing their their free throws or they're practicing their music. You're this is this is you know, it's really helpful because it shows that comedy isn't just spontaneous. You don't just like some people think there's this eureka moment where you're in the shower and you just have the whole joke. But from what you're saying, you have a line, but then it's almost like, you know, you're, you're germinating a seed or you're, you're planting a garden and it needs to grow and develop and maybe the crop will die or maybe right. it'll, you know, turn into a whole field. Um, so there really is this, this like this, you know, trial and error process, it sounds like. Yeah, it's like I, I don't think a full joke, at least not in my experience, I've, I've never had a whole joke reveal itself. It's like it slowly kind of is is fed to you you know right mine kind of feeds you this joke along the way until you piece it together and hopefully you're able to you know give a proper arrangement to the ideas that are kind of spewing out of your mind but if not it's kind of like i don't know yeah no and, and i feel like and i think you'd agree here i feel like comedy in 2020 is as hard as it's ever been in history and there's a lot of reasons behind that but one that i think of is competition because let's be honest, I think everyone that has a Twitter account today thinks that they're a comedian. You know, anyone that has like 100,000 followers thinks, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a, what's the phrase? Like, you're like a, an influencer, you're a comedian influencer. Sure. Do, you, do, you, do you feel that, that competition? I feel like, I don't know if, there, if, I don't know if there's so much a competition as, you know, again, there's so many quadrants in comedy now. It's like before we thought it was, you know, the comedic actor, the stand-up comic, the, this, you know, I mean, the, the funny radio guy, you know, but it's just more quadrants, I guess. It's, it's the Instagram comedian, it's the Twitter comedian, it's the YouTuber, you know, it's, it's what have you. So I don't know if there's necessarily competition per se, but, you know, I guess everyone has their own style of humor and, and you know, again, you'll, you'll, you'll gravitate to, to what you think is funny. Like some people are like, you know, they they love these these videos these quick videos first it was vine and then vine became instagram you know and then tiktok yeah tiktok now it's like and some people i mean swear by tiktok and it's like all right you know it's like i don't i i don't really i've decided not to go in that direction as of right now but of course those things can change you know but 
yeah, anyone with a social media account, it's like, you know, they, they usually gravitate or they take it in the direction of comedy. You know, that's usually the effort that's put into these accounts. You know, it's like, oh, I'm going to make it funny or I'm going to do what I think is funny, you know? So, I mean, yeah. Yeah, man. I, th- I, think, I think that's one element. Um, you know, everything we're talking about with, with the competition and the number of people out there. But then you also sort of have this other factor, which is this, this outrage culture, as Bill Burr has, has called it, where, you know, you go to a show and you're performing and people are in the audience, they're crossing their arms and they have to literally stifle their natural reactions because they think the jokes are offensive or they think the people around them will judge them or shame them for laughing. So have you experienced that at all, Jesus? Sure. And it's, it's almost like um, people would make a big thing out, out, out of something. But again, you have to keep in mind that it's like the comedy club, at least, is, is a place where you go to work a premise out. You know, it's like, how are you able to find your parameters of what is, I guess, what's funny, first of all. And, and, and second is like, is this in the voice that I want to say it in? You know, meaning if, you, if you're more on the shock comic and and you're okay with the response you got then it's a response you know people can you know uh, uh clapping laughter oohs or boos are are one in the same you know it's still a response so it's like if you're okay with it then by all means but you know people come to comedy clubs and they get offended and it's like hey guys like you guys are coming here you know there's the internet you can kind of do the research and more or less see if if if, if the comic you're about to go see is to your liking you know, mm-hmm. so when you go, chances are it's going to be in or around that vicinity of, 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 of humor. And if you feel like I'm on the outskirts of that, don't go. Wait, yeah. wait a week. There'll be a new comic coming to your town in about a week and see see how close you are to, you know, that that equilibrium point of is he in line with the humor that I like? You know, and it's like I, I just don't I just don't think it's. I find it funny that people get offended when they go to a comedy club because it's like, hey, man, we're trying to figure out these jokes. I mean, even if you see an act that's pretty much put together from a comedian, they're trying to they're trying to find it still. You know, they're still mm. trying to find it in the dirt, trying to see where it's at. And then eventually the final product is a special. And again, if you're offended at a special, it's, it's very easy to, like, turn it off. You know, all right, I've, I've, I've hit my limit. I've, I've found my parameter. Uh, I, it's not for me. Done. End of discussion. But I think what makes it tough is the need for the public to get on social media or, or, or kind of be like, this guy sucks. It's like, you don't like the person. Not, not that he sucks. I mean, there's a lot, you know, there's many people in every field that may not be to your liking, but they're very successful. And that's because somebody likes them. So, you know, people feel like they're, 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 they need to voice this opinion that's going to change the world in some positive ways. Like you're just shitting on somebody's life career that, you know, they've spent their whole life forming a joke. If you don't like it, you know, turn it off. Yeah, that's, that's so well said. And just, uh, first of all, what George Carlin said resonates. It's just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. Um, yes. Beautiful. And I, yep. On top of that, man, you also have to think about how this is discouraging people from entering comedy. I know that a lot of stand-up comics, I don't know if, if you feel this way, but a lot of stand-up comedians don't want to go to college campuses anymore because they feel like, you know, it's going to lead to a PR crisis or, you know, they don't want to perform at certain venues because of the, the crowd might be hostile. So how do you think that comedy can survive in this sort of climate in, in 2020 or, or does it have to change? I think, yeah, it's like the... What's going back to the college thing is that you would think, you know, open-minded people of all places, it would be at a university where people are a little open-minded and they, you know, they, you know, I think challenging somebody's point of view is important. You know, that's how we open up dialogues and kind of get to the bottom of certain issues or, or, you know, um, social, social issues that, you know, are brought up in in, in comedy. But I, I don't, yeah, I don't. I, I, I don't know, like, I, I think the college, like performing stand-up comedy at a college is, is, is such a hard thing to take on because you are walking on eggshells. And I think in order to be a stand-up comic, you know, you're going to have to have that freedom of, I can take this in any tangent that I, that I see fit if it's going to make the, you know, make the joke. Again, 
I don't think people are able, well, you are able to say anything, but there's consequences and repercussions to what you say, you know? And I also believe that, you know, you can tell somebody's, you know, point of view or how can I say, if they're saying it out of malice, you know, if you're saying something out of malice, it's like, that's when you can kind of say like, this is no longer a joke. You're, you're trying to offend somebody, you know, even a thank you can be said in such a way that says F off, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so it's like, if you say now a sensitive word in, in such a tone, it's like, yeah, that removes a comedy. But I think colleges get, you know, they have in the past gotten offended, but I mean, I tend to do okay in, in, in colleges. You know, I, I talk about pretty, you know, PG 13 to like mustard. You talk about mustard and, uh, and bicycle seats. I mean, I mean for, yeah, bicycle seats or whatever. My upbringing, my mom said this, I did this, you know, I grew up in this situation, you know? So I think to do, I, I, I think I do okay, but I, I do see that as a, as a challenging thing moving forward. You know, where do people go to consume comedy without them getting offended or some you know, like you said, some comics won't go to certain venues because, you know, people are pretty hostile there or that kind of thing. But it's like, Look, at the end of the day, we just want to laugh. Just be open-minded. You're at a comedy club, you know. You're not at a, you know. Yeah, you're at a comedy club, for God's sake, so. Yeah, man, like, who's going out on their Friday night after a long work week to, you know, have, like, a, just, just like, a microscope going around making sure that, that everyone, you know, it's just, it's too much. And like you said, it's, like, comedy's about unity. Comedy's about community. Just, like, I don't know. Like, my perspective on this, I did an episode about outrage and PC culture, is people just need to sort of lighten up. I understand, like you said about malicious intent, if someone's being bigoted, if someone's being closed-minded or tolerant, that's fine. But if people are making a joke, I, I don't know if you should be taking it that seriously. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell somebody's intentions and if they're just trying to make a joke, Hey, they're they're Comedy is very much trial and error. Oop, that didn't work. Oop, I went too far. You know what I mean, you know, and that's up to the comedian to decide it. It, it, it isn't to the, it isn't for the public. I, I don't think. Yeah. So the last thing I want to chat with you about, Jesus, yeah. I thought I, I thought I liked tacos, but you literally host a web series on First We Feast yeah. where you invite some of the world's funniest comics to talk about comedy while eating the best tacos in L.A. How did you land that gig? Man, I was uh, I was very excited to uh, to to find out that uh, First We Feast had reached out with this idea and they wanted me to host this uh, this show. And it was, you know, talking shop with comedians and also exploring, kind of, you know, mapping out this, you know, taco restaurant scene that exists in LA. And, you know, we go all over the place to brick and mortar spots, to trucks, to, you know, a little stand on the corner. Like we just do a deep dive and, you know, we talk comedy, we talk shop and we have the, the LA, the delicious LA taco scene as a backdrop. And it was just great. I mean, first week feast has been phenomenal. They've been very supportive. They, they, uh, they welcomed me into the, in, into the family with open arms. And it was just a great, awesome experience working with them, working with the comedians, some old friends, made new friends, you know, doing it. And uh, now it's great. It's, it's like, yeah, it's, you know, moving forward, I, you know, season two, it, it's, you know, we're, we're gearing up for something like for, for season two. And, you know, we're trying to figure out what that's going to look like in the, in the age of Corona, but yeah, we're moving forward. And, and yeah, I'm, ex I'm, I'm excited to film another season. And you got some hilarious content on there. Actually, I binged a couple episodes. I saw the one with Gabriel Iglesias was absolutely hilarious. He's, he's, a, he's a funny guy. He's funny, man. And it, it's so crazy to know that we grew up, I mean, just a few miles away from each other. You know, he, wow. we went to the same high school. We grew up, going to the, grew up going to the same taco spots. And, you know, he grew up in front of that the Taco Loco spot that we featured in that episode. And I grew up right up the street on, on Magnolia, still on Magnolia street. And um, yeah, real funny guy. And you know, I had no idea we had so much in common. So do you ever get sick of eating tacos? You be honest. Uh, no, no, I, I, I don't think so. Cause you just uh, switch up the protein, I guess, chicken, steak, you know, whatever, but yeah, there's so much, there's so much, uh, there's so much to eat and so many different styles, I think, which is great. And, one of the things I really love uh, of the Tacos Con Todo series is showcasing the stories behind the restaurant, the truck, you know, the family recipes, talking to the families. I think I think I would like to see more of it going into the second season because we definitely, you know, made it a point to include that in every episode for the most part. But I just got a kick out of that, you know. It's like 
you know, uh, Carnitas El Momo, the one I did with uh, Andy Milanakis. I mean, mm. you talk, you know, they talk about how they make, how they make it, how it's a family, you know, recipe that came from Mexico. And, you know, they have three generations of, 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 of families working on these restaurants. I mean, I love that, you know, Jorge over at Tacos 1986, you know, talking about how he kind of got his start and became what it, what it is now. Also, Tacos El Arabe, you find out a little bit of the history of what a Al Pastor taco is. You know, it's, you know, they talk, you know, uh, the taquero that we talked to there, you know, and told us a little bit about the history and where the influence comes from. You know, you know, Al Pastor is more of a Lebanese influence. You know, they used to do it with lamb meat, but in Mexico, in Puebla, at least, they would do it with pig because it was cheaper. So mm. it's a lot of cool, you know, information, you know, you know, that we sneak in there. So I love that. It's like the convergence of it sounds like your two loves. You got your your cuisine and you got your, your comedy like coming together and and this show is <laughs> beautiful. And it's funny. I, I, I don't know who has the better job because on the one hand, with First We Feast, you got Sean Evans. He gets to host Hot Ones and interview Kristen Bell, Gordon Ramsay, Shaq and ScarJo. But he has to eat all those painfully spicy wings. And I then you know. have you. You get to hang out with Andy Milnakis and Gabriel Iglesias, and you just get to eat tacos. I, I, I might rather have your job, to be honest with you. <laughs> I definitely put on some weight, man. I, I, I Filming that whole season, I, I went up 10 pounds, a solid 10 pounds, and I'm like, I got to get off before the second season, man. Yeah, man. Uh, you can watch Tacos Con Toro, uh, the web series from Complex First We Feast on YouTube. And in case you don't know, Jesus recently released his very first stand-up special, Stay at Home Son, which you can watch on Showtime. I love that name, by the way. I, I, don't, know, <laughs> I don't know how you came up with that. that that's very apropos. Yeah, man. It was, uh, uh, the special was filmed uh, last year, November 2nd. And, you know, it's, it's, it's set to come out. It's, it's going to come out May 29th at 9 p.m. on Showtime. So check it out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, shortly after that, it, it'll be on all platforms where people can stream it, rent it, that kind of thing. So I'm excited. My first special and, you know, stay at home, son. You got to watch the special and, 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 I love and, that. and look out for that phrase. Well, listen, this has been an amazing conversation, Jesus. Uh, where can people find you on Instagram? It looked like a moment ago I was behind you. But for, for our folks who are listening oh. uh, to the audio, where can people find you on Instagram, Twitter and the socials? Uh, Instagram at Jesus Trejo and the number one that's J E S U S T R E J O number one. Twitter is just my name. It's uh, at Jesus Trejo, or you can just go on the website JesusTrejo.com. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being here, man. This has been an absolute pleasure. This is uh, this was great. Thank you so much for your time. I had a ball. Thank you, and uh, yeah, talk to you soon, man. Thanks a lot, brother. Peace. There you have it, guys. That was my conversation with stand-up comedian Jesus Trejo. What was most fascinating to me um, out of our uh, entire conversation was when he spoke about his process and how he actually will go about writing a joke, you know, hearing, thinking about something as simple as a bicycle seat, writing it down, and then later that actually blossoming into a full-fledged joke for, you know, a stand-up set. Enjoyed our, our conversation a lot. Um, and I think, you know, he had some interesting things to say, too, about why we're obsessed with comedy and why people feel the need to constantly be funny and, you know, and sort of infuse comedy into everything they do as a way of coping with experiences or, you know, relating to other people. So I really thought that that was, that was uh, you know, a particularly fascinating takeaway. And Jesus, actually, he talked a lot about the subjectivity of comedy, how there's no universal objective joke that everyone finds funny or universal objective standard for what people will find funny. It varies based on, you know, demographics, based on your age, based on your race, based on your religion, your background, your socioeconomic status, your upbringing, your geographic, um, you know, origin. All these factors come together to determine whether or not you're going to find something funny or not. And something else we didn't really get to talk about, which um, I guess it sort of slipped my mind because um, our conversation was, uh, you know, w was veering around. But essentially this idea that what people find funny changes over time. Like we talked about the, the Three Stooges and the, the slapstick humor, how, you know, people 100 years ago in the 1930s would laugh about someone slipping on a banana peel or a pie in the face. And today th that same brand of comedy, the slapstick, probably wouldn't get the same reception. I think jokes – by and large today are more intellectual and 
they're more rooted in philosophy. I liked when Jesus talked about the um, how comedians were the modern day philosophers. That was that was a really interesting analogy. But I do think it's true in that people look to comedians to uh, relay or to mirror experiences and communicate them to the public in a digestible fashion. We talked about you know getting news from the Daily Show and from. Um, you know, the Colbert Report and all, all all those, you know, people look at Comedy Central to get their news. That's why is because, you know, the comedian, you could say they're, they're a philosopher, you could say they're a journalist, you can say they're um, all sorts of, you know, serve all these different functions. But it is interesting to look at comedy as a mirror of culture, of contemporary culture, um, and how what people find funny might be a reflection of the times, might be a reflection of you know, the, the mid 20th century or, you know, the baby boom era or the nineties and the, the internet age or, you know, so we didn't really get to touch on that, but it's all, it's something for you to think about in the purpose that comedy serves and, you know, how much like culture and, you know, music and art evolve over time. So does comedy. Um, and that's, that's something that, that, you know, makes me think as well. So definitely make sure to check out Jesus's comedy, the Showtime special, and on first we feast as well. So I previewed next week's episode back in episode 36, I believe, or but next week I'm going to be joined by food addiction specialist, clinician, and medical director Vera Tarman to talk about the biological basis of addiction and how to train your brain to crave fresh fruits and vegetables instead of sugar and processed foods. I feel like Jesus should skip that one since he's she's probably not going to say that you should be binge eating those tacos, but that's coming up next week on Nervous Habits. Thanks so much for listening, guys. This has been another episode of Nervous Habits Podcast. Make sure you're following us on social media at Nervous Habits Podcast, on Instagram at Nervous Habits underscore on Twitter, and you can write to me via email at Nervous Habits Podcast at gmail.com. Also on YouTube, search Nervous Habits Podcast, and you can view this whole episode on YouTube, just like the episode with Harry Mack. Both the audio files will be available, um, the MP3, as well as the video file on YouTube, so check that out. And remember, if you're going to a comedy club on the weekends, it's probably a good idea to leave your delicate sensibilities at home. Just because you're offended does not mean that you are right. Lighten up, guys, and stay nervous.